The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I'll kind of continue with this conversation we've been having since maybe late January on the three characteristics it's called in the Buddhist uh, the Buddhist teachings. And you know, I mentioned in the guided meditation that one way to understand, like, what is it to be me? What is it to be human? Or alive, or have a life, a mind and body, is the kind of dominant thing is we're sensitive. And it's, it's kind of nice as you live your life today and do your sits and just to highlight, like, that's actually in a way, useful way, the most relevant thing about what's happening right now. There's sensitivity. There's an exposure, or you could even say a vulnerability. Like, even if when I close my eyes, I'm vulnerable, I'm exposed to the sensitivity of seeing. Right? Can you stop yourself from hearing right now? You know, even if we plug our ears, we still hear, it's just that we hear that sort of background buzz and then faintly other things. Same thing with our body. You can even, uh, one of our leaders here, Richard Bach, is sort of like one of the great experts on those flotation tanks. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done it once. Richard helped me get a chance to do that once. You know, you sit, you lie rather in salt water that's so concentrated that you really float, and you're in a dark space and quiet space. And the water temperature is about the temperature of your body, so it's not too cool, not too warm. And, you know, sensory deprivation. But still, you're feeling all kinds of sensations when you're there in your body. And for sure, the exposure to thought and any of those other mental activities, that doesn't cease. It doesn't even cease when we go to bed at night, right? just keeps churning along like a, one of those little waterfalls that just spews water. <laughs> that mentality, it's just like images, thoughts, emotions, just, have you noticed? <laughs> so, when we, the, we don't think about this, but when we, when we're invited to, well, what does it mean to be me, to be alive, to have a mind and body? And that, and that one good answer to that question is, it means being sensitive to these six things. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. So these are the five physical senses. But in Buddhism, we add a sixth sense gate, a sixth way we're sensitive, and that's the movement of mental activity, because we're also sensitive to that, right? Thoughts are being known in the same way that sights are being seen and sounds are being heard and sensations are being felt and smells and tastes are being smelt and tasted. And when we highlight sensitivity, then one of the things that begins to stand out that's so important is we start to notice all of our strategies, mostly unconscious strategies, to manage that exposure, that sensitivity. 
And like I was saying, you know, inviting people, yes, like, yes with the in-breath, but yes, there is this exposure, there is this vulnerability, these sense contacts, sense impingement is being known, is being felt. And then with the exhalation, allowing, allowing. So allowing is different than the sense that everything I see, everything I think, everything I hear, everything I feel as a touch, I have to have an opinion about, I have to categorize, I have to react to. But we can practice sometimes just to see that it's an option, being completely exposed as we are as humans, sensitive humans, vulnerable to whatever is showing up, coming and going. But find a way to be relaxed and trusting and allowing whatever that is that's coming and going to come and go. So you could say, we could say, being free, being at ease and free with the exposure. You know, it's like you step into a cold lake because you want to go for a swim, but it's cold, like Lake Superior is cold, but you really want to go for a swim, you know, and uh, as you walk in, it's like so much of the conditioned impulses is to resist the coldness. Like, you notice how you start standing on your tippy toes? <laughs> you take a step in, but you actually get higher because you're going on your toes. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then we, you know, if we really want to go for a swim or don't want to embarrass ourselves with our friends, you know, we remind ourselves silently, oh, just relax, you know, trust the exposure to the, it's just cold. Right? It's just that sensory experience of cold. And this happens all the time, whether it's with temperature, some physical sensation, or sound, or sight. And it's not just the unpleasant stuff. You know, it's like when it would be great if we could do an experiment right now, like stamp my fingers and everybody would have in front of them the kind of food that for you is most delicious, that you most want now, right? So it's there in front of you. And, uh, you know, probably what we'd notice if we cultivated some mindfulness is we'd start getting tight, like tight that I want to eat this now. Or if you already started eating it, you didn't wait for the group, you know, then tight around wanting it to last, wanting it to always be this way, or wanting it, wanting the second and third and fourth tastes to taste as pleasant as that first taste. Because you notice when you have something you like to eat, the first taste is the best, or the first couple, right? And then it doesn't kind of match up the later tastes. And eventually, you kind of say that, you know, you kind of eat it because it's your habit. Like, I know I like this, so I should probably eat it. But you're not actually desiring it anymore at some point, if you have enough of it. How many Dorito chips? <laughs> right? And then there's that middle point where, do I still want to eat this? So let me see, you know? Do I still want to eat this? Let me see. And you keep, we keep doing that. Like, I'm not sure this might be pleasant, but we're too busy 
kind of in our thoughts about things actually check like, how does it feel to be eating this now? Is it actually satisfying or is it uncomfortable and unpleasant? In which case, maybe I should cease, right? Put the bag away or put the food away. So that alone could be good homework for folks this next week. And especially because we're moving, you know, we've been studying the changing and permanent uncertain nature of phenomena of all of these six ways that we're exposed. And another facet of that, related facet, is the unsatisfactory nature. So whatever touch we feel, sight we see, sound we hear, thought we think, emotion that arises, no matter the sense experience, a sense contact, we can't make it something that's satisfying in a lasting way. Gratification, even the best, most satisfying gratification, getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want, is ephemeral. You know, like when something is really difficult in our life and We'll make that, you know, commitment, (laughs) sometimes depending on how we think about things, to God, we'll say, you know, you make this go away and I'll be good forever, or something like that, (laughs) you know. Turn my life around or sell my first child, (laughs) just make it go away. And, uh, but but the, the thing is that that amazing gratification, like I had a lot of pain, I mentioned in one of the talks uh, early in January, and it slowly faded this month of February. It was pretty bad in January. Um, maybe some rib or the muscles between the ribs got strained. or But it was really painful, hard to sleep, and really excruciating whenever I'd cough or breathe deep or sneeze or something like that. And it, it really feels like when this goes away, it's like, I'll be so happy. And when it, the first few days I noticed, I, I really had the sense, it's not getting worse, I believe it's getting better, right? There was some, there was some inflation, some joy, some, like, ha, I'm not gonna die. But that was pretty ephemeral. And now it's still getting better, it's still retreating, you know, that I can still feel it, but it's not significant now. And uh, when I think about it, I'm a little bit happy that it's not like really bad like it was in January. But it's back in January, I thought, when this gets, if this gets better, it's going to be so great to be healthy again. But it's not a big deal. So this is true with a lot of it. You know, some of you have gone through a really painful divorce, for example. And there was like, when this, you know, when I ever get through this, or a painful loss, whenever this grieving kind of heals to some degree. So this is just interesting about sensitivity. There's a, a basic lie that we rarely bring into full view. And in Buddhism, we talk about it being around what we call feeling tone. And we make that phrase feeling tone because the word in English, feeling, has so many different meanings. 
but you can use feeling, but in the way we're talking about it here, we're, we're really talking about the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality of sense contact. Every single sense contact, and in any moment, there are so many sense contacts. Sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touches and thoughts. And all of that, in a sense, is touching something that's really sensitive. I always use the example, I grew up as a Catholic, and I had these statues in my bedroom of St. Francis and St. Joseph and Mother Mary, and they all had their hearts, you know, sitting out. And it's a, I always mention, because it's a very powerful spiritual image to, you know, this heart, which we know is, we're so dependent on, to have it outside of the body. I'm assuming most of you know what those statues and photographs or paintings look like. And it's, I'm not sure who had the idea, what artist, you know, had the idea to um, draw or sculpt um, these religious figures in that way. But it's it's powerful, like, to, to think of somebody with a lot of spiritual power, but so vulnerable, so sensitive, right? So we want, in a way, we want to cultivate that kind of sensitivity. We want to highlight it, because then it makes us really interested, well, what is it, that experience of being touched, of that feeling touched, right? What is that? And what's the skillful way for me to be relating to that that endless feeling tone that I'm feeling. Like, what's the feeling right now that we're feeling? You know, different for each of us. What's the underlying feeling tone now in the heart? Pleasant-ish? Unpleasant-ish? Neutral-ish? If you don't know, it's probably in the neutral-ish category, right? Sort of, kind of, okay... You know, not obviously unpleasant or obviously pleasant, so it's, but it's still there. And what would it be like, like those statues to move through our day and when we're sitting, doing our meditation practice, highlighting that sensitivity? Normally, we think of that as like a burden, that we're so sensitive. And uh, maybe this, I don't know if it's true for everyone, but you know, a lot of us have a sense of like, if only I weren't so sensitive, how can I have an outer shell, you know, some armor? I need some armor, because it's... And, and there's some deep truth to that. It is not easy to be sensitive. But when, it, when we cultivate, we're not actually cultivating the sensitivity, we're cultivating a relationship to the sensitivity. There's no choice about the sensitivity. But there is a choice about whether we're going to choose to be aware of it or whether we're going to, because of the way we've been conditioned, hide it, bury it, armor it, turn away from it. So what happens when I choose to bring it into the forefront in this honest way? Oh yeah, the heart's sensitive like this. Even your body language affects me. You know, like we're so, especially as social mammals, we just have so much social conditioning. We're all being affected. Even like people you're not seeing with your eyes, but you just sense 
them sitting next to you. You know, if they're restless, that affects you. If they're really still and calm, if that's the vibe, that affects us. We're affected by everything. What we see, what we sense. And if it, if we can cultivate the remembering of the sensitivity, not too much, not too fast, but not neglecting it, then wisdom will catch up. The wisdom that knows how to be okay with the exposure. If it gets out of balance and there's too much, we're sensing too much, and the wisdom hasn't caught up to the exposure, then we do what sensitive human beings do when we don't have a lot of understanding and resilience in that moment. We, we turn away, we bury the pain, the exposure, we blame. There's all kinds of things we do. And this would be, those of you who are going to stay for the small group, we have small groups um, for those who are new, uh, both the folks online and those in the room. If you want to stay for 11.45 to 12 o'clock, just a chance to sit down with three or four others in the community and chat. And one of the things you could chat about or just reflect on your own when you go home is like, uh, yeah, what are my strategies when I'm overexposed? What do I do when I'm feeling more than I want to feel? And remember, this could be positive, like feeling too much joy and I don't know what to do with. That person loves me? (laughs) I mean, have you noticed that sometimes we do that? I won the lottery, I got hired, I... whatever, you know, this person wants to hang out with me. And it's like, we don't know what to do with that good feeling sometimes. And what we do in our Buddhist practice is we highlight sensitivity as a way of supporting the growth, the deepening and widening of the wisdom and love that knows how not to be afraid of the exposure. Because that's how we uncover the wisdom. Like, I want to be able to be in the dying process without freaking out. Or I want to be able to really show up for my loved one who's dying or sick or in a difficult place and not be tight. You know, or whatever those difficult or interesting or intense experiences that come with being human and having a life. I want to be able to be intimate and relaxed and responsive and engaged, right? So, but wanting that doesn't make it happen. What makes it happen is practicing being intimate where we feel safe enough to see, like, what is that understanding that allows me when I'm in a situation where I feel like closing down, I feel like turning away, I feel like blaming, controlling, managing, but I don't take the bait. I just stay right there in that place of sensitivity, exposure. And I see all the different impulses, but I don't grab a hold of the first or the first ten, which are probably reactions out of aversion or greed, holding on to what's good, wanting it to last. But I wait to 
you know, because I we're developing this capacity just to be in the exposure and to be relaxed and to be interested and to feel what we feel, then we start to notice wiser responses because we're not afraid to be in that place. The example I give sometimes just in my job, you know, these 30 years, um, I get invited sometimes when people are dying, you know, to help the family just show up. And, you know, it's not like I've got training or I there's some magical answer of what you say to people who are the person who's dying or the people who are losing the person they love. But what my practice has taught me is to be open. So I can go there and I could feel the impulse to like want to manage the situation or want to not look like a fool in the situation, look like I know what I'm doing, or all the different kinds of impulses that not want to be there, how can I limit how much I have to be here, you know. And I can feel all those impulses and no, they're just those Impulses, that's part of what we're sensitive to. That's the sixth sensecate, right? Mental activity. I don't want to be here. Oh, that's a thought being known, a thought in an emotion being known and felt. That's all that is. I could be exposed to that. I should have something wise to say. Okay, that's a thought being known. And we can really hang out in that space with practice. And lo and behold, sometimes... We never have anything, obviously, sort of useful to say or do, but not being afraid of being there is a powerful gift. Just knowing how to be there and feel everything that's moving. Because in a way, we're modeling for the person in the dying process. And, you know, you can extrapolate this to any situation. It isn't just about showing up when someone's in the dying process, right? any challenging situation that you might be showing up for. But we're modeling because everybody, like in this case, the person who's dying, the family who's grieving the loss and not wanting their loved one to have pain and not wanting them to go away, we all have to learn how to be exposed to what we're exposed to and let things move. Because causes and conditions, the circumstances of our lives... They just keep moving, and they never cease moving. Things come and go. Things come and go. And that's that river of sensitivity, just exposure to life, flowing, moving. Oh, it feels like this now. And remember, it doesn't prevent us from doing things and saying things. Right. So if there's an impulse that arises to say something, then because I don't have to say it, because I know how to just feel that impulse, but it doesn't mean I won't say it, because it might be a useful, generous thing to say or do. And we say it, and then it's sort of a dud, and we'll feel that. Oh yeah, that, that wasn't helpful. Or we say it, and it was like, great, useful comment, and then, oh yeah, okay. Any praise or any kind of pride. Oh yeah, that's the next exposure. Now this is happening. And that's just the next thing that's coming and gone. And this will help us. This, uh, 
emphasis on sensitivity will really help us with the three characteristics which we're talking about, the changing nature, the unsatisfactory nature, and the impersonal nature. Because where we learn, where we learn how to have an honest and intimate, forgiving and wise and kind relationship with the underlying nature of things is in the experience of sensitivity. That's the thing about pleasant experience and unpleasant experience and neutral experience. You know, when we're in pain, whether it's mental, emotional pain or physical pain, it doesn't last that long in the great scheme of things. I mean, I know there are people, some of us have had chronic pain. Certainly grief can seem to last forever. But even when we're in the thick of physical pain or emotional pain, it's alive. The idea we tell ourselves is that there's this dead weight, this sadness or this pain in my rib or my back or whatever. The interpretation can look like this huge edifice of pain. But the actual experience of being sensitive to physical, emotional pain or whatever the sense experience is for us, it's very alive with change. And any sort of any way we might conceive of myself who needs to hold on to the pleasant or get rid of the unpleasant, that conception itself is heavy, is dukkha, we say. It's, that's what's unsatisfactory. Not that as a human being we're exposed to ceaseless pleasure, pain, and neutrality. That's actually not the problem. We think it's the problem, I get it. But you might find that that's not the problem. The problem is that I, that attachment that I think I should have the pleasure forever and I think I should be able to get rid of the pain when I want to and I should be bothered with neutrality because it's neutral and who cares, right? I just want pleasure and to get rid of the pain. And so we have a lot of, we don't see this, but when we start studying sensitivity, it really exposes all of our conditioned habits, like to feel some kind of ownership when we have a pleasant experience. Like I have a pretty nice living situation now. My partner and I, we've, you know, it's the old common ground building that Wynn and I bought way back in 1993. And then Common Ground was there for 15 years. And then when we, when the Common Ground bought this building, then Wynn and I slowly, it's an old storefront, turned it into a single family dwelling, you know, and it, now after we've been here since 09. So it's been a while and we fixed it up. And, uh, and now I kind of feel like I have rights to a comfortable living place. So when something deteriorates, falls apart, it's like, well, that's not okay. Because I, or if wind leaves something out <laughs> in the wrong place, you know, that's not okay. Because this is my refuge. I've unconsciously 
turn the nice living space that I have into a refuge, meaning I think it's there for me, but it isn't there for me. I can't count on it. I don't know when it's going to fall apart or be taken away from me, but we can't really count on it. Same with a good friend. You know, you expect that person to be the way you want them to be for us, but they won't always be that way and they won't always be there for us. Or our physical health, we expect it to be there for ourselves. But it's not really a refuge. It's certainly nice when we have a nice place to live and have a good friend and have good health. It's not nothing. But it isn't what we mean or need as a refuge because the only refuge that's a refuge is a refuge that's not conditioned. It's not really a refuge if it comes and goes, if it's not dependable. Right? So what ultimately is dependable? And the nice thing about highlighting sensitivity is we really get clear about what's not dependable. And we don't like to hear this, but you know what's not dependable? Sense experience. Any sense experience is not dependable. Because sense experience, if we pay attention to our own experience, is like a river. It just keeps flowing. It never, ever, ever stops. But our thoughts, our interpretation, make sense experience seem like it's a fixed thing. My health, my place of living, my job, my friends. See, the way we think, it sounds pretty solid, pretty permanent. My friends. You know, and I got the mental image, I got the interpretation like that person. And it sounds like these things are fixed, and that's why we feel so betrayed when our houses burn down and our friends go away relationships break up, our little sweet children grow into teenagers, (laughs) or whatever, you know, the big changes there are. And, oh, that wasn't a refuge. I thought it was going to be there for me, my health. And then we realized, oh, no. Or my youth. I thought my youth. There's some uh, students, Carol Ann students from the University of Minnesota here today. So I'm assuming you're young. You know, and it's like that part of the, I, when, you know, if we remember, if you can remember way back when you were young, young adult, you know, it's like, it's really hard. I mean, intellectually, you know, if someone asks us a multiple choice question, will you grow old? Never, possibly. (laughs) Yes. You know, we'll probably answer yes. But we don't, it doesn't seem like the vigor of youth it feels like we can count on that when we have it. And then when we lose it, like, you know, you get COVID and you're out for the count for a while, you know, or so many people, you know, have long COVID symptoms. And it's like, and it, it, the truth, I don't actually know how this is going to play out because we think, well, I should return back to hell. But it's not written down. <laughs> we don't have that contract. You know, you get sick and then you get healthy again. We don't know. There's this inherent uncertainty. It's not a refuge. So then it really begs the question, well, what is a refuge for us humans? 
And I'll leave it here. I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> but we don't like the answer. But the realization, what this word points to, actually turns out to be a refuge. You know, so the short answer to like, what's a refuge? Non-attachment or letting go, right? But letting go, non-attachment is not the same as being living a flat, disengaged life. We need a lot of humility, what that word points to in our spiritual practice. Like being all in. Heart so sensitive, so responsive, but not attached. Right? So we have rights to be all in and engaged and responsive, but no rights to ownership or expectations. And we'll go there in the weeks ahead. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.